This week's episode of The Clear Out was recorded on the 31st of July 2022 at home in Wicklow. And it is an interview with my good friend, uh, the artist and travel addict, Sean Whitehill, who has just spent uh, about nine days with us here at... uh, at hashtag blessed, the home of the clear out. And I took the advantage of having Sean here to stick him in a chair and to put a mic between us and to have a chat about travel and other things that came up. So it was late at night when we recorded. I do, I do explain this. I explain this. Uh, you'll hear me talk about it shortly. So um, late at night little bit sleepy a little bit quiet so the the sound quality is a little bit different to when it's just me on my lonesome but um it's perfectly audible and followable and i think quite interesting in its way so uh i hope you enjoy what you hear okay that's it uh enjoy the episode enjoy the tell two voices this week instead of one and um yeah i'll see you there real soon cheers bye Ooh, not gonna change my mind leaving the dream behind hi my name is dara clear and you're listening to the clear out welcome welcome to another episode of wellness with attitude this week i present an interview with my good friend, the travel addict and artist, and Sean Whitehill, who whose work I've referred to before on the podcast. He has a website uh, called travelmandalas.com where you can see his work. Uh, Sean is a seasoned traveler uh, from Melbourne, Australia. And for several years now, he has been putting his travel experiences and things that have inspired him or moved him or struck him on his travels into really lovely uh, mandalas. And we were lucky enough to have Sean staying with us here at Hashtag Blessed for the last uh for about 10 days nine or 10 days he uh he left here a few days ago um on his onward journey and we sat down late on his last night here we were both knackered and we had a a bit of a dozy one hour conversation about travel and about his art and it was very pleasant but we were both a bit tired and I was so dozy that I forgot to really uh, I forgot to really get him to to discuss the the art itself and and Sean's a very humble sort of character and not a natural uh, self-promoter and it was only after we'd stopped recording that I got him I asked him about the art and um, he spoke very eloquently about it and explained how when he had been working um, about seven or eight years ago he was working as a a trail guide 
on the Lara Pinta Trail, which is a, a trail in the middle of Australia, uh, I think the sort of southern end of the Northern Territory. And basically when Sean travels, he always has a sketchbook with him and he sketches things. Um, sometimes he'll sketch after, you know, after a photograph he's taken. But he came away from that experience uh touring on the leading it uh, a walking tour on the Lara Pinta trail with some great images which he subsequently finished they're hand drawn hand colored and he put them into a lovely calendar one image for each month of the year which he shared with family and friends we were amongst that group and since then it's kind of been his 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 thing his 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 metier and he was explaining to me uh, after the interview how it just emerged that way. He didn't set out to draw mandalas. That wasn't a particular obsession. But when he started doing those pictures from that time, the very first one, it came out and it was mandala in form. And he realized it just appealed to him. And he, he really liked the idea how he put it was the way well and it's true for any picture he said but the way mandala can tell a story and he liked the challenge of the form and he also liked how it didn't have to be a clean closed line around the edges of the mandala it didn't have to be so contained within the form um and he liked the the Zen implications of a mandala as well. Um, the, the 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 cleaning, or maybe the cleaning of the mind, or the cleaning of the imagination, the arranging, the tidying, and and certainly it is the work of someone with an, an, a fine eye for detail. And yeah, so um, so yeah, so he, as I say, he. Um, it was something we didn't get to in our, our interview because we, as ever, with my style of talking and interviewing, we let things be pretty organic and move wherever they moved. But uh, a nice interview nonetheless. So that is, yeah, that's 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 coming up shortly. Um, I'm trying to think what else of note is worth commenting upon. Uh, did any of you watch the euro finals the women's euro finals i was enormously impressed with the the english women and their victory over germany in the final uh and i was comparing their performance to their male counterparts who reached the final of the men's euros last year so this is a uh, this is soccer football we're talking about to the uh, if you're if you're uninitiated um and last year in the final the english men went into their shells after scoring early and put in uh, an overly cautious performance the game ultimately went to a penalty shootout and the, those penalty shootouts historically have not gone england's way and that one was no different um but they they let themselves down. They played with no character. They played with no conviction. They showed virtually no aggression or strong positive mentality. 
and uh, yeah, that's 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 really not the stuff winners are made of. Cut to Sunday night last, and the England women were playing a very accomplished German team. I think who've won the women's Euros more than any other team. And it was a great match. It was very competitive and a lot of great football was played. And England won. They beat the Germans two goals to one. Their second goal, the winning goal, was a sloppy, snatched-at effort. But in it went and it counted and they were the winners. And I was just impressed with how they conducted themselves. I was impressed with their aggression. I was impressed with their toughness. I was impressed with their no-nonsense approach to tackles and their no-nonsense approach to receiving tackles and getting up and getting on with the game. No histrionics, no rolling around on the ground in agony. And I just thought, well, hats off, hats off to those young women. Um, and much has been made of their victory across English media, of course, and what it means to lots of Young English girls in particular, seeing that performance laid out for them, watching the women's team throughout that tournament. Um, and I don't need to probably add to the the hyperbole, but uh, I was very impressed. Um, and that's, there should be, there's no note of uh, patronisation in that or condescension. Um, they're athletes, they're professional athletes, and they should be good. But it was their attitude and their mentality that struck me more than anything else. And I thought, man, oh man, the boys could learn so much from this. That's how you play the game. That's how you get stuck in. That's how you stay positive. You keep the intensity up. You keep the aggression up. And you're there for each other. Just palpable team spirit confidence in, in pursuing the task at hand and they were deserved victors so well done the english women the lionesses as they are as they are known it was good it was good it's uh it, those moments in sport are nice they really are they really are they really are good so uh and i was watching it with uh sean uh, who whose interview you're about to hear Sean and, and my daughter were watching it my wife was out gigging so she she missed it but um, yeah great fun so um, so there you go so I might just I might just leave it at that uh, without without further ado and here is me talking to Sean Whitehill artist travelmandalas.com I hope you enjoy what you hear cheers hi Sean hi Dara so uh, here you are here you are in hashtag blessed uh-huh. how did you find the uh, how did you find the journey here oh, I get better at, at uh, long distance travel as I get older but uh, yeah, it was probably 40 hours Lots of waiting around in airports and, you know, it's a certain drain, isn't it? Do you hear that? And it's... I want everyone to just clock that for a second. Um, 40, about, about 40 hours. That's, that's how much Sean cares about being on the podcast. That's how much Sean cares oh about goodness. contributing to the tell. 
he traveled 40 hours so any of you out there who might be listening any of the seven listeners who think yeah i want to be on the podcast too i want i want to go on and do an interview i want to share my stuff ask yourself how far are you willing to go because sean traveled 40 hours he came via colombo now when i say colombo i'm not talking he didn't travel back in time and appear on the tv show and access some strange portal into the future to get here i'm talking about colombo in is it sri lanka is it it's in sri lanka it's nice. full of, of wonderful Sri Lankan people. Excellent, Sorry. excellent. Why is that such a... No, it's cool. What was it? Was it? Is, was Malinga? Was he Sri Lankan, the bowler? Malinga? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Malinga the slinger. Yes. Very good, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this could sound like a rather sleepy conversation because Sean didn't come directly here straight to the mic off the 40-hour flight. He's actually been here for about a week. And it's been a busy week. I've been squiring him around the vicinity, taking him to... Now, when I say watering holes, I don't. that's not a euphemism for pubs. I've actually been taking him to swimming spots in the rivers nearby and in the sea. And there's been a few walks. Uh, and it's actually been really good. But uh, Sean's actually... You're about to get on a, a flight in... I think it's just under eight hours you're going to be flying to to Berlin I am and then as you were telling me before we uh, started recording the name of the river in Berlin is the Spree see you might be able to have a swim in the Spree what about that uh, I like to think so or it could be filthy it could yeah. just have to wait and see I've not been to Berlin so do you like swimming in dirty water not especially no no. no, I remember one time in Melbourne in the summer swimming at the uh, the baths, the Brighton baths where, where you and I met and I remember it was a particularly hot summer day, it was low tide and I got in and swam and I almost instantly regretted it, it was so warm and I just felt like I was swimming in a in a petri dish, it just felt like oh yeah I'm in here with all the bacteria and all the the scuzz that the heat is just stirring up and gently kind of sizzling. Um, I didn't get sick. I didn't get sick. Thanks for asking. But I just thought, what am I actually getting out of this? Sometimes you just shouldn't get in the water. Do you Partic- agree? No, particularly, well, yeah, I mean, that's a bad combo, particularly if it's if there's been significant rain in the 48, 48 hours or so before. Yeah. It just washes all that. Filth. Crap and filthing off the land straight into yeah. the water. And then if it gets hot like that, then it starts, just breaks down all the faster. And oh, yeah, yeah. Very nasty, sleepy water. That, um, just that idea of washing away the filth and washing the filth into the water, it never, it never doesn't make me think of Taxi Driver and Robert De Niro's monologue cleaning off the filth from the seats of the taxi. Uh, and wanting to wash all the, the filth and the scum off the streets in that kind of pathological mindset. Uh, now, that's just, a, that's just a little tangent. Don't mind that. Um, so I've mentioned, I've mentioned you on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the podcast a few times because I've been very happy to make reference to your, your art, which you now have proudly 
displayed and available for purchase on travelmandalas.com. Listen, there's no, oh my goodness. You should be proud. You should be proud of your work. Uh, I am. Yeah, I you should. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a reduction. Off the bat. Yeah, it's a bit of a reduction. But you look at the work and we've been privileged at hashtag blessed to have looked at the work for quite some time really over the last four or five years has it been as long as that you've been producing the calendars and oh that? it's been seven years of calendars oh yeah well yeah. okay so sean I, I, is the calendar something you're going to be selling on the website as well i don't know i don't know to be honest at this point and i've only just this last one was selling copies of that for the first time They're yeah okay just for yeah. family and friends for christmas so just um, just to clarify, Sean used to do this lovely calendar and for each month there'd be one of his mandalas and a little bit of information about the inspiration behind the mandala, what location in the world uh, fired his imagination and gave him the raw material uh, of the mind and of the eye to then represent in the mandala. And just, again, you've heard me talk about them a little bit before, just these lovely beautifully hand-drawn intricate uh, illustrations that are I think extremely unique um, and we were very lucky we were very lucky I I took the bold step of commissioning Sean to do a very special mandala for my daughter and when I say commissioning I mean I didn't give him anything at all except good vibes and suggestions now that won't cut it. If you think I'm going to buy one of Sean's mandalas off the website and just like Dara, I'll send him good vibes and suggestions, that won't wash because I've got previous with Sean, okay? So, you know, we've got a friendship. So he, he did us great favor and brought over on his trip this time from Australia a beautiful, very unique mandala for our daughter that features uh, Darth Vader riding on a unicorn with uh, a cat I think it's a cat up front and a kookaburra behind and he's got a sort of a, a rainbow coloured lightsaber and I think there's there's four is there, are there four Darth Vader's? There are Yeah, yeah so it's a bit of a you know, four, four Exactly four quadrants Do generally I mean I know some of the mandalas are kind of there's one main illustration but most of them would follow that kind of pattern approximately the four quadrant idea a, yeah that's the traditional yeah. mandala where and, but, but but you know various mandala artists obviously branch out in all sorts of different ways from that but I, I tend to return to it but like to break it up and try different things as well sure and I was I was what I was driving at before I was going to say it's a bit of a reduction to say the mandalas combine your two great loves because I mean you have other interests and other passions um but I was going to say they combine two of your great passions in life, which is art and travel. That's right. And where, where did that start? Like, did you like when you were a kid in Australia? Actually, and you like you were a, a good Melbourneian, good Victorian boy. You grew up in Melbourne, uh-huh. in the kind of suburban Melbourne. Mm-hmm. When at what point in your life did you go? Yeah, I want to. I want to get out of here. I want to travel now. Let me quickly jump in. I know for a fact Sean's a, a great lover of Australia and the sort of the great riches that Australia has to offer geographically, scenically, 
and he's very well traveled in Australia and was a uh, like a, a trail guide tour guide um, out in certain parts of Australia and particularly down in Tasmania um, but outside Australia when did you have that when did you first be when did you did when did you first become aware that you had this kind of like yeah yeah I need I want to I want to go out and, and see places and, and travel because I don't have it I don't have the travel book I'm, I'm a little you know boring homebody who just goes right I'll, I'll I'll create the kind of travel experience in my mind um, which of course makes my wife want to kill me because she she would have a bit more of that travel impulse in her okay. but, but yeah so what about you when did it start for you when did you think get well, me out of here I was unexpectedly invited when one of um, it was a group that I used to hang around with um, we used to probably drink together yeah. when I was 23 they were going on a trip to Bali yeah. And one of them had to pull out, basically. And I got I got called up and invited. It was completely unexpected. I haven't really considered going abroad at this point. And um, so it was a very typical young, young Australian trip to Bali. Do you and think... Were, yeah, yeah, sorry, I'm cutting across here, but just that you mentioned Bali. I mean, Bali's kind of... It's, it's Indonesia, isn't it, Bali? It is, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a... I mean, if in Europe say a lot of Irish and English might go to very popular Spanish beach resorts um, you know m- maybe some French destinations as well but I suppose Spain in particular Costa del Sol and that kind of thing um, Bali would be maybe a bit of an equivalent for yeah, a lot of Australians definitely it's um, great surf um, strong culture yeah um, cheap prices there's party if you want it I was going to say like I mean like at that young age is it just a bit messy is it just a bit let's go to the beach drink a load of beer in a lot of cases for sure yes. yeah yeah. Yes. yeah and I won't say our trip was um, <laughs> without a little mess but yeah um, we're just young young that's guys okay. being young guys that's I suppose okay. that, that, that's we didn't do any damage we didn't get locked up or that's okay break any laws or anything like that oh so, good I'm yeah. glad to hear it because it was fun one thing we one thing we can't abide on the clear out is a criminal no vandals no arsonists no, none of that sort of thing um, okay so that was that was the beginning and like then was, was travel was it something that kind of started to feature more regularly then throughout your 20s and on or yeah and to into into Asia mostly on short trips yeah. during during vacations from jobs and stuff like that but yeah it just grew very quickly and I, and I didn't want to like as much fun as I had on that ballot trip but I didn't want to travel like that yeah. I probably just didn't know quite how I wanted to travel I just I didn't want it to be all about the party sure so I wanted to get to know cultures and you know see places for everything they were in as much as I could do that and um yeah, and I, I sort of got to thinking that um, I really wanted to do extensive travels abroad, mm. but what I really wanted to do first was to get to know my own country. And so I bought a four-wheel drive, I put a, a sea kayak on the roof of that, and I, I spent three and a half years travelling around Australia. All right, and, okay. Um, yeah, doing little you know, adventures out to island hopping for several days at a time. And, All right. The hiking pack strapped to the front with in a black garbage bag. Yeah, on the kayak. And on the yeah. kayak, yeah, and um, yeah, all, like trekking all over the place, 
uh, be fruit picking here and a bit of landscaping there, odd jobs to yeah. keep the money coming in. But um, yeah, it was essentially just on the move. Well, I had the best part of a, a year in Darwin actually, um, and moved around quite a bit. From, yeah, you know, different living places and. Did you get a bit up in Darwin? You would have got a bit of a, an insight into Aboriginal culture, into Indigenous Australian culture, or, or not? Uh, to be honest, to be honest, probably wasn't. I, I just a late a late bloomer in so many ways, and probably that was my first introduction to Australia has some issues with the Aboriginal culture, yeah, and, and how it fits in with white culture. And, sure, you know the social problems that exist there. Um, was I going on to communities and having quality experiences, getting to know a lot of indigenous people, or well, taking part in workshops with them, or anything like that? No, that wasn't. That wasn't. That wasn't yeah. As much as I would have loved it to, um, seeing like there are a lot of probably complicated issues around around that, and mm. I, I wasn't ready for that at sure. that time. But I was certainly um, travelling around with my eyes open yeah. in regards to that. Yeah. And trying to understand it as much as I could. Mm. Um, but um, there's only so much you can understand. When you... it's, all, it's all about who you're, who you're having your conversations with, who you're getting your information from. And sure, sure. Because you're not... You're not to access... Yeah, you're not, you're not on the inside of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but after, like, beyond, like beyond Australia then and continuing the travel and this desire to sort of pursue extensive travel was it um like were you primarily a solo traveler was it like heading off on your own to have these experiences yeah it was yeah and what's what's the appeal of that because some people would hate that they like they want the the, maybe the security of someone with them or the companionship to share the experience um i I guess i was always a, a bit of a lone wolf oh and no, stop. I, rec- I recognise that because I too am a lone wolf. And indeed, when Sean and I met <laughs> in Melbourne, I think that was, there was just that glimmer of, of steely recognition as we stood there in our speedos. <laughs> I was going, that guy's a lone wolf. I think I might be a lone wolf too. Uh-huh. The problem was, when two lone wolves hang out together, they're no longer lone wolves. They're just two wolves, and maybe that's, like yeah, that look, it is what it is. Yeah. Anyway, you were the lone wolf striking out alone. Well, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to just think about it put like that. Now. No, no, anyway, don't, don't, don't be embarrassed. You are, you are, it? you are a mum friend. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess uh, it's freedom, isn't it? You can do what you want, and when you're travelling alone, um, we we all need people, and of course we're. In some ways, we're more likely to meet other people. Um, if we're in a group or mm. with one person, we might be sort of spending more of our time just in that group and feel like we've sort of got our company and less yeah. likely to sort of go reach out and sort of get to know the people around you, whether it's, you know, other travellers in a, in a hostel. You're just or saying, yeah, you, you just become locked in, in. yeah. But if it you're, can, it yeah. can happen that way. Yeah. And um, uh, for me, yeah, it just meant that I could, <laughs> I could do, I could do what I wanted. I could go where I wanted, and believe me, I was certainly meeting a lot of people. And, and so you were, so you were able, you were able, you were able to indulge your selfish side. Is what you're saying? You could do, do what you wanted. Definitely yeah. pursue Sean uh-huh. stuff, which was great. 
And this, I certainly see that, that that there is another side to that, and that's that's probably going to be hard for me to. Choking aside, and I'll probably have to say that a few times during this chat, one of the things that struck me as I was asking you the question, um, it must be peaceful in a way to travel solo. Would you, does, that, does that resonate, a peacefulness to it or a, a tranquility to being by yourself? I think so, yeah, and that's probably it's probably worth mentioning at this point I'm a fairly introverted guy. Yeah. Which means that as much as I love being around people, I probably it, it can be an effort. Yeah. And so at some point I need to get back to the base and just be able to recharge and that's often if not in my own company, in the company of someone I feel very at ease with and mm. and all that kind of stuff. So um yeah, and that that's always a I mean it's always a goal when travelling. There can be lots of logistical issues at times and you can go through long stretches where you get moving between spaces and there's things that have to happen before you can get some shut-eye. And, and some of these things can be stressful, you know, uh, if, there are, if you're feeling confronted by a culture somewhere, for example. Uh, I always like to get to a point where you, I mean, it just helps so much to know yourself as an introverted person. Mm. You, you can't be just travelling and on the move the whole time. Sometimes you need to stop somewhere, feel the space that you're in, get to know it a little bit and take the time that, to get your head about you. Sure. If you're comfortable somewhere, then you can really take it on board. And well, perpetual motion isn't a natural state. No. I would argue. No. Uh, like just to be constantly on the move, it's mm. like it's, it's, it's like you're communicating a message to your whole system that says, "Don't rest, don't uh-huh. stop, uh-huh. be ready to push on." And for me, I, like I, that to me seems oh, look. to push against a sort of a an ability to to sit and be still, and I don't know, appreciate, observe, listen to oneself. Um, so. Yeah, stopping and like I guess, in the context of what we're talking about, traveling, moving from one place to the next, I suppose with the freedom of being on your own, with the freedom to go, do you know what this place isn't working? Maybe I'll shift on up the track or cross this side of the country instead mm-hmm. of being here. Um, that sort of quest to go, I'll find that spot where it's going to feel very natural to stop and be still and remain for a while. Would that be? That's maybe that's part. That maybe that's in the in the mix as well. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. And um, oh, look, when I was younger, there was a time when I could just kind of keep moving. Um, but yeah, now I, I do look for those places where I do feel. Uh, whether it's uh, just happen to meet, even if it's just as simple as having meeting a, a friendly person, having a conversation with mm. someone that just makes you. That just sets you on the right track in a new place. Yeah. And you, you don't know what up might unfold from there and if, you know, you come upon, come upon a place like that. Yeah. Um, then, yeah, I might stop and stay, recharge, get to know. Um, and, you know, as an artist as well. Sure, um, you know, sure. You know, while I'm travelling, you know, so much of my inspiration comes from the travel. At some point, yeah. I need to be somewhat stopped 
to be able to get the ideas that are going on in my head about the things I've been experiencing, put them down on paper. And um, of course, it stands to reason I want that to be in a place that I feel good and, yeah. you know, feel a little, a certain connection to, to the place. Or, sure. Well, yeah, I mean, and the kinds of experiences that you have in a very, you know, <laughs> short term and, and quick sort of way, you know, you've got to fast track some things sometimes in travel. Well, I suppose, yeah, and in, and in terms of the artistic um, pursuit and what you're responding to and knowing that you're going to take some of the things you see and maybe via the photos or via the memories, via the first impressions, you're going to start uh, transferring those in artistic form into one of your sketchbooks. Um, that's probably worth mentioning here. And um, I think I'll, I'll throw up, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly direct people to your social media and to your website because you've shared a lot of your stuff uh, online over the last while. Um, but like a lot of a lot of Sean's mandalas are there's a lot of flora and fauna. There are architectural features. Um, sometimes there's uh, evidently artistic like you know elements of maybe art from the region where he's been and what he's depicting in the mandala. Um, and sometimes there are basketball courts. There's been more than there's been more than one. Has there with basketball courts? Oh, there are four or five. One yeah. Yep. So that's that's one of your other big loves is basketball, no? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe like a bit of sport in general, no? But basketball in particular. Sport in general. I mean, I yeah. love a whole bunch of different sports, but basketball. I, I don't know how that's managed to capture me. Well, well. To be fair, Michael Jordan was largely responsible for capturing me. The great the Irish basketball, basketball player, Michael <laughs> yes. Jordan from Enniscorthy. Uh-huh. Or you might be talking about the American guy from the Chicago Bulls. Well, I'm talking about the like the American League. Oh right, right. From yeah. Ireland, yeah, hundred percent. Um, I was thinking probably not. Yeah, not not the Enniscorthy, not one of the Enniscorthy Jordans. Mm. Um, yeah, so Michael Jordan. That's going back to the the nineties, really, isn't it? Was that the that was the Jordan era, late eighties, nineties? Yeah. And you were yeah, playing yeah. a bit of basketball yourself. I was. Yeah. 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 Um, Loved the game. Yeah. Because um, actually, no, listen, just I'm going to jump on you now because one thing I haven't seen in your mandalas, um, speaking of your love of sport, I haven't seen any cricket paraphernalia and I haven't seen... That's because um, I haven't done any yet. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. That's I like it. Yeah. I haven't seen the Sharon. Not one. Not one Sharon. No, but there are. There, there are. are. There's a couple of recent... Po- of. Um, in the latest section of the gallery on my website, oh. I've posted a couple of from this from this year from oh. this season. So from I've done a drawing for the Indigenous game between oh, Essendon nice. and Richmond that yeah. I attended with my niece. Brilliant. And from the Anzac Day clash, which is also Essendon against Collingwood. Right. The Richmond Essendon is one of the the Melbourne Australian uh, rules football teams. Um, AFL known colloquially in Australia's footy if you like the footy you're talking about Aussie rules football um, probably really let's face it probably brought to Australia by the Irish I think we're going to claim that one we were playing whatever we were playing a bit of Gaelic and the Aussies they couldn't find a Gaelic ball and they just had this wonky looking ball and eventually that became known as the Sharon which is the company that makes the standard uh 
Australian rules football. Would that, would that be would that be fair, Sean? Well, it sounds like you're pinching it off the indigenous people of Australia. Actually, does it start with the Who indigenous people? Did did it? Well, um, I mean, well, it's probably a, a combination of things. But they were was it a skin that they used an animal skin that they stuffed yeah. that they used to kick around the game they called Marnbrook. Ah, okay. Um, I don't know any of this. Yeah. So it's not like I'm a great you know student of the game. Hmm. No, I, I can't claim to, to know all the ins and outs and details of the history but, of the but game. But you are a big fan. You've been checking, yeah, you've been checking your, your footy scores regularly since uh, being here with us in I Wicklow. Have. I have. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So, um, okay. Well, that's okay. That's okay. That's, uh, we'll definitely, the link to Sean's website will be there, travelmandalas.com, and I'll put, I'll put the link in the description for this episode so you can go and check out the, um, check out the work. Um, so... We'll stay with the mandalas for a second and the travel. Um, there's a couple of questions I want to ask you. But first, what what have been your top destinations so far? Like the destinations that... And I mean, maybe they're not destinations that necessarily made it... You know, maybe stimulated a lot of mandalas or inspired a lot of mandalas, but... Maybe the ones that did inspire Mandalas, but maybe also some of your personal favourites, because you've, you've really covered a lot of ground over the last several years with your mm-hmm. travels. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I have to throw in Nepal, just because of the sheer size of the landscape. There. Okay. And I've wanted to um, track particularly the Annapurna circuit there. For a long time, from from a fairly young age. That's in Nepal. And that's in Nepal. And it's yeah. like, Nepal's got the Nepal got the Himalayas, yeah. That's what the Himalayas, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's yeah, it's kind of got the best part, the most accessible, I believe, part of uh, Mount Everest. Right. So yeah, it's kind of borders up with Tibet. Yeah. It's not so easy coming in from the other side. From the um, Tibetan side, as I understand it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, the Khumbu Valley is a great place. It's where Everest Base Camp is set up, and most okay. climbers strike out for the summit from there. Yeah, um, I, I got managed to do the base camp trek uh, while I was there as well, and just uh, for, as someone who loves trekking, yeah, that's one of my great loves as well. And Nepal is is your paradise. How much, so. how does Everest Base Camp compare? With Logan Aquila, which you walked with me <laughs> the other day. Logan Aquila, for those of you who don't know, is the highest peak in Leinster, highest peak in County Wicklow. And I took Sean up there the other day. We had a nice little walk, and uh, I could tell Sean was very impressed. But Sean, don't let me put words in your mouth. <laughs> tell me, tell me, give it to me straight. How how does Logan Aquila compare to to Everest in your opinion? Well, it's, it's magnificent in its own way, isn't it, Barra? <laughs> it's a fantastic experience. And, uh, of course, I walked out with a great mate. And uh, I walked... That, that was me. That was me, in case you missed that. I was the great mate, and I still am. The Everest Base Camp trek was about nine days long instead of four hours. Okay. And, um, but four hours is fast was, for Love Nequilla, by the way, listener. The route we took, we smashed it. Continue, please. Yeah, and that walk was into the valley... At the bottom of, of a large mountain rather than to the top of a, a mountain like what we did with London Villa. So yeah, okay. The landscape is very white and icy yeah. up on, uh, in that, in that uh, Kumbu Valley. Yeah, okay. And we didn't see any snow, did we? Not so, this time, but I've been up a couple of times in the snow and it's a bit special. 
it's a bit special. It's nice to be up there in 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 all conditions. Um, I won't I won't relay the story of how anybody got lost and saved my own life like the the champ I am. Um, <laughs> no prayer flags at the top of Flagnaquilla either. Bar. Good point. Mm-hmm. How high up do the prayer flags go in Everest? Are there are there prayer flags up the top? I believe so. Yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll never stand on top of Everest myself. But no. Having seen photos, yeah. you think well, people you think, brings all sorts of stuff up there. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oxygen tanks. Amongst other things. Yeah. Do you think you'll never sit on top, go on top, be on top of Everest because that ship has sailed? Because you feel you won't have the conditioning? Because you're a fit guy. That's a big conversation. Or is it is an ethical big, thing? There's probably a bit of that as well. Yeah. yeah. Maybe would I be able to get the fitness there? Maybe yeah, well, I just don't. I just, I just don't fancy it. it. Just doesn't interest me. I don't like the cold as well. Yeah. Okay. And um, just out of respect, I, it is. It's a big conversation. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, look, just. I mean, I just. You know, quickly, I'll, I'll throw in my own tuppence worth. I mean, it is as as much as obviously there are lifelong passionate outdoor types and mountaineers, climbers, and Everest is one of those mountains that they want to do at some point. Mm. But it's been my impression. Uh, for some time that Everest has also been a bit of a a tourist mountaineer destination or maybe someone who has a lot of money that they can throw at a good team and a lot of equipment and they can just tick it off their bucket list without it necessarily being something maybe organic or based on a, a lifetime love. Um, I mean, I wrote about this a few years ago on the website and sometimes I feel with some of these places the idea of conquering natural landmarks um you know some of some of these amazing standout locations in the world it just feels i don't know there's something about it that sits not quite right with me and i think you know just sometimes just let let it be just let nature be and you don't have to go, I did that. Here's my flag I stuck in it. Here's my photo of me at the top. It, can, it does seem, not with all climbers, I suspect, but um, it does have that element of just another example of human beings trying to conquer nature. Yeah. And it's like, well, do we, do we always need to do that? Mm. And I, I do think, uh, probably speaking generally here, I, I think climbers each have their own story and their own reasons for doing these mm. things uh, but but anytime you're, you're doing something and someone may be you know dying on the trail or be dead and you're having to simply leave them there yeah um, it's, it doesn't it's, feel quite yeah. right does it it doesn't sit quite right no um, I mean I, th- I mean I guess that's the point I was going to make I mean like you know <laughs> excuse me not being like facetious you go up Logan Aquila, there's no real cost. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's a fingernail, um, you, you know, compared to what you have to achieve to climb some of these huge mountains in the world. Um, and I was obviously, obviously being silly making the comparison. But there's no cost to the environment, really, with that exploration. But it, it seems like there is and can be, and there's been a well-documented cost to these Everest treks, these Everest ascents, whether it's um, this idea that, yeah, it's, you know, it's not unusual for climbers to die, it's not unusual for people to get stuck up there, there's a certain amount of waste that gets tossed aside, mm-hmm. 
there's also maybe some implications about maybe an exploitation of the Sherpa population or community. It, it's well, it just it just seems to me that um, it's it's increasingly the mountains increasingly attracting people who don't have, really have a history of mountaineering. It was never really their passion. Yeah. But all of a sudden, they they can recognise the status that having climbed it can bring them. Yeah. So they turn their attention towards it because they want to be one of the people who've climbed up there. And they pay people to, you know, yeah. some of those, you know, Nepalese guides and shippers, they just, the money they can be offered is very hard to turn down. Yeah. And finally, it is their decision at the end of the day whether they choose to involve themselves, but they, some situations have been put in harm's way. Sure. And, and have lost their lives as well. So, I don't know, it's, it's complicated. Mm, sure. Yeah. Doesn't not all of it reads that well. I no, think. no, and yeah, I mean it's a it's a negative line to go down. But um, let's leave. Let's let's turn away from that then for a second. Uh, or no, let's turn away from that altogether and move back to your other destinations. But Nepal, Annapurna route. That was the first thing you mentioned. Uh-huh. I mean, you just spent almost two. Was it almost two years in Costa Rica during you know, uh-huh. riding out the pandemic? You kind of. It has to be one of my semi semi stranded over there, but. Yeah, yeah, like it, it was a yeah. good place to be stuck. It was a tremendous place to be stuck. I was in the um, the southwest corner, sorry, the southeast corner of Costa Rica, not far from the Panamanian border, and yeah, it was quite life there. I was in a small um, town that was, that's usually quite touristy, and became touristy again as as things slowly started opening up. Yeah, um, but yeah, I was living beside the beach, and I remember the beachy kind of guy as well, and. Yeah, some nice waves for a body surfer like me. Sure. Um, and uh, it was a perfect opportunity to sit down and do a lot of drawing um, as well. So Costa Rica has a special place in my heart. Japan for its culture. Yeah. Um, just, I think it's impossible to have a bad experience in Japan. Right, nice. Um, I love Spain. You know, the first time I walked the Camino de Santiago... I still believe that's the best experience of my life. And so, of course, it means I have a great feeling about Spain. Yeah. You know, you, you know the, the places that I, I love the most, of course, their experience base doesn't necessarily sure. have anything to do with um, their standing on a world scale or yeah. anything like that. It's just... Well, that's an interesting thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I was thinking the... Like all relationships, uh, timing is a big factor in the, the, the success or failure of them. So I guess being in a certain place at a certain time can be magical and transformative and memorable for all the right reasons, or it can be just the wrong the wrong time to be there in your life or um, something like yeah, like like you say, I mean when you when you did the, the Camino the first time, but it was something about whatever you, wherever your head was at at that time in your life, it was just a it was obviously just a great experience for you. Yeah, I'd read a, a book by, oh, probably, well, depending who's listening, some people may be familiar with the author Paolo Coelho. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so the author of The Alchemist. Yep, Yeah. exactly, amongst other things. And he did a, a book called The Pilgrimage, which was about his trip along the Camino de Santiago, yeah. de Santiago which was transformative for him. And... Yeah, probably he probably creates that as setting him on a particular path that's been very successful for him. 
Um, but I was just fascinated and intrigued by the whole, uh, just the this idea of a pilgrimage, mm. people walking for weeks and weeks and weeks to get to a destination. And it was it really appealed to me. And um, that uh, I read that book 10 years before I got to, um, got to Spain to do it. And in the year before I did the Camino, I'd uh, quit a job, basically, um, yeah. that um, had given me a couple of great years, but also a very difficult third one. Yeah. And, um, yeah, just... <laughs> I, as soon as I, you know, resigned and gave them a final three or four weeks, I went directly to New Zealand, did some trekking over there, expecting to come back to Melbourne a couple of weeks later yeah. and pick up my own landscaping business again yeah and um but i ended up staying 10 weeks in new zealand and um started having dreams about a bigger travel to europe and and at some point it dawned on me this is the time to do the camino so and was it when you did that was it when you're in new zealand that you went new zealand culture is better than australian culture was that (laughs) was that when you came to that conclusion in those 10 weeks did i tell you what came to that conclusion did i (laughs) Um, <laughs> uh, look, no, I love I, I love New Zealand. Um, they, New Zealand says uh, great things about you. <laughs> yeah, oh, look, the the nature there is, I think it's next level. And they what, for example, their tallest mountains at least twice as tall as ours, I think, in Australia. And yeah, the the Mount, Mount Kosciuszko is that the tallest uh, mountain in uh, Australia? Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. But we were. Uh-huh. I mean, we were talking about the the Irish landscape, and we we had a bit of a we had a, we had another lovely walk today up above, up above Glendalough. Um, it was really yeah, really, really nice. And not 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 too demanding, but just a nice little, healthy Sunday morning walk uh, up in the fog or the mist in the early morning. But I think we were saying one of the days that, like Ireland is like a kind of a mini. Like like it's like it's, it's similar to New Zealand landscape, Tasmanian landscape, but on a on a smaller scale. Would that Definitely, be? Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's why you love to me love yeah. Ireland so much. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, I mean, where I was, you know, one of the treks in particular that I was guiding on in Tasmania is a very glacial landscape. Mm. And I've always spoke about this earlier, didn't we? Yeah. You know those two walks we did. Yeah. Um, Glen Malua. Oh, nice. <laughs> Glen Maclua and yeah. um, Glen Malua. Glen Malua and Glen Malua. Both yeah. very clearly glacial valleys as well. And, yeah. You know, um, very similar feeling. Sure. You know, walking up there. Yeah. Excellent. It's cool weather, hiking as well, and yeah, quite misty and moody on its day. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got a bit of that today. Uh, definitely. Lots of rugged rocks sticking out and around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> around the rugged rocks the ragged <laughs> rascal ran um, have you seen that movie what is it uh, it's a Coen Brothers movie Hail, Hail Caesar is that what it's called it's oh, I haven't caught that no oh yeah there's oh, there's a I'm sure that's what it is Ray Fiennes has a hilarious cameo in it as Basically, he's meant to be sort of a Laurence Olivier character, and he's directing this um, cowboy star in 
a kind of parlour drama, you know, where he has to be quite debonair and he just can't speak well. He's just got this, yeah, cowboy accent that he can't shake. Like he's a guy who does tricks on horses and tricks with lassoes and they're like, look, we're going to, we're going to try and bump you into this kind of movie now. And Ray Fiennes is, is just trying to get him to speak in that very um, elegant, um, received pronunciation kind of way. And that's what he's trying to get him to say. Around the rugged rocks, the ragged rascal ran. And the guy just can't do it. And Ray Fiennes is just cracking. I, I might be imagining that. Maybe, maybe I'm confusing that. Maybe that's in Singing in the Rain with... Um, Gene Hagen but it doesn't matter it's the same kind of idea anyway um, rugged as you said so you've gone Japan Costa Rica Nepal they're right up there with some of your favourite spots you've produced some beautiful mandalas from that, those parts of the world you've just had this is not your first time in Ireland you were here about nine years ago when we were in Melbourne um, and you passed through and had a bit of a look around if and no pressure here, you don't have to make any commitment. But if you were to take some of the images you've seen this week from some of our getting around, what do you think might make it onto a mandala? Yeah, I've been thinking about uh, possibly Loch Nakula. Okay, nice. I think, um, but I just need to, I'll need some time to look back at some of those okay. photos that I took. Yeah. Um, as you know, I like cafe culture as well. <laughs> I've done lots of mandalas about various cafes. That's right. All across yeah. time. Yeah. And um, yeah, what was it? Bewley's. Yeah, oh, yeah. In Dublin is a is a very unique cafe. I, yeah, I you feel liked, with lots yeah. of very unique imagery in there that would be easy to create a mandala of. Nice. And um, yeah, I might turn turn my pen and pencils to that at some point as well. Mm. Um, gosh. Yeah, no, that's yeah. good. That's all good. That's, that's all good. Mind. Yeah, yeah. No, that's mm. that's look. It's not a bad start. Not a bad start. We'll see what else. What else might emerge? As oh, the other the, the Bray waterfront. Oh, you like the, that? The, the, yeah, the promenade. There, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's so much going on there. Huh? Yeah. And of course, you've got the you've got Bray Head up on the yeah up on the horizon oh, there nice. as well. Yeah. That crazy. All those those beautiful. And varied old homes on the along the seafront there, the, yeah, along the seafront. Yeah, this crazy, colourful amusement park. You know, yeah, for the people for the summer season, a lot of stuff going on there. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Nice, nice. Put let's put Bray on the map. Okay, because well, maybe I you know, think it's so, already on the map. Well, you know it is. You can, <laughs> you can find it on the map, uh, on a map of Ireland, on a map of Wicklow. Okay. Sometimes I feel Bray gets gets some bad press. Um, but Bray is yeah the the the, the seafront is nice. It's got the seafronts are nice. They the are. amusement park there. Oh yeah. The if you want to go down and enjoy the foreshore of Bray, but you're not into amusement parks. Are you working for Bray Bray there. Council? Are you working? Did the has the mayor yeah, of Bray had a word near you to to, no. to promote Bray? No, but no. You're just okay. No, you're I'm an impartial observer. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice, good man. Mm. Just it's an interesting space. Let's put it that way. Um, it is that. It uh-huh. is that. But that's great. I mean, that, I'm actually that's I, I I really like the idea of Bray making it into um, 
one of the mandalas. I was going to hit you with a quote. This goes back to something you were saying before uh-huh. about meeting someone when you travel. And I can't, I can't remember what you said. It was something about, you know, the social thing. Um, so here's two quotes. And I, I, I got these earlier. This is something I do. I, th- I think I've mentioned before on the, uh, on the podcast. I get this word a day email um, which is basically this yeah a little etymological email explaining the origin of a certain word and then it's shown in usage but Anu Garg is the creator of the word a day uh, newsletter and um, and website and he um, always puts a quote at the end of the the newsletter and I was just going through last week's quotes and there were a couple of goodies so here's two that might just tap into a little bit of what we were talking about before this idea of being a a lone traveller or a solo traveller and being out in the world and being in these different spaces places and finally maybe you said I think you know maybe you might have a conversation with someone that just puts you on the right track and there's a I mean I'm putting words in your mouth now but like fundamentally you're acknowledging that we are social there is a social animal in us mm-hmm. so further to that thought here's two things the first from Carl Jung the psychiatrist the meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances if there is any reaction both are transformed uh-huh. Yep. Which is quite nice, really, isn't it? It is, yeah. And I think my the first thing that comes to my mind when you mention that is, and there is nothing wrong with a life without travel. But when we're in a society where we're all living more similar lives, yeah, we can have uh, we can be two people coming together, and but we're less likely to transform each other. Interesting idea. Yeah. But if we're from two different cultures, and yeah. what if you're the first person from from Australia that this person might be? What, what if they're sure. the first person that you have an encounter with when you get off a plane in a new country? Um, and it, do you know what I mean? But there's also this thing, we were, talk, we were talking about this earlier today, um, about the, the, the liberation of travel, about being separated from the familiar and what that... The, the sense of freedom, the sense of positive removal from the familiar that that actually facilitates. And if you think you're out there in the world somewhere, far from home, traveling, and maybe, you know, yeah, of course you can be meeting people from that local culture, but you can also be meeting other travelers, maybe mm-hmm. other like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way, I suppose... And it's not to be too naff, and maybe this has been overused lately, but in a way, we might be talking about your tribe a little bit. Like when you're out there in the world and you're meeting people going, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get this travel thing. That can also be maybe... And, and, and then that maybe works against this point we're making. Like maybe you're less likely to be transformed by a member of your own tribe. But there is something that transpires. There's something that passes between people. That, um, mm. well, yeah, 
yeah, look, um, I don't want to be too idealistic about it. Yeah. Or pretend that, you know, travel is some, you know, perfect thing. Yeah. Um, but, for example, um, it's very, I find it very hard to actually really get in and, you know, form really good relationships, and especially if you're moving quickly. Yeah. Then how could you expect to do that? You can't expect to do that. Um, so there are times when you might stay somewhere or, you, you know, some travellers um, spend more times than I do in places like, you know, Woofing where they're on organic farms and helping locals out with their properties and all that kind of stuff. It's a good way to get in. Woofers. And and Woofers and woof. They, they do. What's a woofer? A woofer is um, a willing, yeah, willing worker on organic farms. Oh, willing a, worker on uh, organic uh, farms. That was working on organic farms for free. Free? <laughs> well, that's the other. Is that, is that not right? That's also true. Probably. There can be. Yeah. Maybe not for free, but you'd be, yeah. you, you know, you get your food, you get your board. Are woofers still out there? Uh-huh. Yeah. It still happens, yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe. And probably variations of it. Yeah. And in some cases, I, I think probably people being taken advantage of and in others people having very enriching experiences yeah right? yeah so yeah but I, I mean apart from the culture of the country you're in there, there is another overlaying culture and that is amongst travelers yeah and but, and you know it has a positive side it has a negative side in my opinion yeah but that is also an opportunity to meet people from different countries sure who are generally at a fairly open time of their lives Mm. Where they're wanting to have adventures, they're wanting to explore different cultures on some level. But sometimes it's an exploration, you know, sometimes it's a, sorry to jump across here, but sometimes I think it's an exploration of self. Well, that's what, it, that's what it yeah. kind of becomes, and that's what those kinds of interactions can be, like that, can be about, really. That might be a bit of a cliche, but the, the idea that we, we, leave, we leave home, we leave the familiar to find ourselves to understand ourselves more um, or to find to find new reflections of ourselves maybe I mean maybe that's part of the of what of what's possibly seductive about travelling when we you know you go out in the world and you're like okay what's what's being shown back to me about myself I, I mean and, and it's not to make it all oh this is all about you know <laughs> the exploration of me me and my 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 narcissistic obsession uh, and when I say me I mean you um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, quite, I quite like that idea though you know you, to, to be out there okay where am I off to next I mean we know where you're going next Germany Turkey Spain and then hopefully on to, to South America this time mm-hmm. yeah um, and it's, it, 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 I think that's an interesting idea. Are we, are we only knowing ourselves through others, or can we know ourselves in isolation? I think it can. I think it can help. Like, um, I don't know. I just don't. For anything valuable in life, you don't. Nobody needs travel, or it mm. doesn't need to be travel. But travel can be can be um, a way to some of these things. Um, getting to know yourself while traveling is, um, 
is really effective, in my opinion. We have to be pretty um, self-sufficient. Mm. Um, there's always some kind of problem solving that needs to go on. Um, but by... Let's not pretend it's not a, a somewhat privileged position to be in. Not everyone can, can do it. Mm. So, um, yeah. But to, yeah. What I heard from, whatever, from everything you just said, what I take away from that is you don't need to travel. And then that's what I'm going to tell my wife when she says, let's try and go here, let's try and go there. And I'll oh go, Sean said, you don't need to travel. So I'm just going to sit here by my microphone and keep uh, pumping out podcasts. And um, then when we get divorced, I'm going to blame you. <laughs> um, here's the next quote I'm going to hit you with. And this might be, um, we're in the same area. Listen to this. And this is from Karl Popper. Not the man who invented poppers, but the philosopher and professor. Um, he said, we are social creatures to the inmost center of our being. The notion that one can begin anything at all from scratch, free from the past or unindebted to others could not conceivably be more wrong. That, that's, that's quite deep, is it? What do you think of that? Once more, please. We are social creatures to the inmost center of our being. Mm -hmm. The notion that one can begin anything at all from scratch free from the past or unindebted to others could not conceivably be more wrong. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of profound, isn't it? And I, I'm probably inclined to agree. <laughs> we, just get, uh, we just change so much. We're so affected by our experiences, aren't we? It's what we learn from. It's how we evolve. Um, there's, yeah, there's, there can be no pure separation. There can be no pure isolation. That becomes just a, a like a, a mind game, just to to, <laughs> to 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 try and put oneself into that place, into a sphere of total separation from everything you've come from. I mean, I think that's almost that's the pursuit of Buddhist monks. Are I think that's probably right. Yeah. Yeah, people yeah. who withdraw from society completely are. Enter into lives of dedicated, deep, transformative meditation. I think I think we all want want to feel that our, if possible, all of our experiences, particularly the most complicated ones, can be reconciled inside of ourselves one day. But um, most of us don't ever get to that point. But finally, do we need? I'm not sure that we need to. But, um, I don't know but if we're on that path. Sure. Yeah, if we're on that path. Oh, yeah, it's, um, I don't know. I think sometimes there's just, there can be, and I, mean, I talk about this a bit on the podcast, there can be a kind of an earnest striving for deeper understanding or more fulfilled resolution or reconciliation with the, 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 the war inside. And then sometimes I just think, oh, for fuck's sake, just get over it get over yourself just get out there and you know live your day um, I think I think we'll conclude on that note <laughs> because uh, you've got a plane to catch um, 
thanks so much for doing this. I thought this has been uh, this has been a, a, it's been really nice talking to you, and it's been great having you here with us for the last week. Um, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Travelmandalas.com. I'll put the link in the description. Check out Sean's work. It's really beautiful, unique, distinct, and uh, well worth a look and well worth well worth a purchase in, in my opinion. Um, so yeah so Sean listen best of luck with the the ongoing travels best of luck with the art best of luck with the path and uh, let's both just go out there and live our day let's do that nice thanks okay, a lot Tara thanks listen, you mind yourself okay take care we'll thanks for coming in cheers man so there you go that was myself and Sean Whitehill talking 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 getting sleepier as the conversation went on getting quieter as the conversation went on but uh a nice a nice little chat nonetheless and uh yeah yeah nice to uh nice to hear the thoughts of Sean on what travel means to him and yeah do please go and check out his work I think you'll I think you'll like it a lot. So that's it. That's all for another week. Thank you for listening, downloading. Do follow me on social media. Do subscribe to the podcast. You can find me all over the place. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Pocket Casts, wherever I'm out there. And social media. It's the Clear Out podcast on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube. You can email me at theclearoutlive at gmail.com. And I hope, I hope soon enough in the coming month or so, touch wood, fingers crossed, etc., a new website uh, where you'll be able to find everything. Everything related to the pod, including the archive of uh, archive of articles and poems and short stories from the website um, the blog that really began this journey um, in 2013 and all the archive of episodes as well and other stuff in the future hopefully so that will be coming very soon I hope and otherwise, if you are a fan of the show, the tell, uh, whatever you want to call it, this thing that I do, and want to support it as an independent podcast, you can do so. You can use the supporter link, which you should find in the description of this episode. Um, or if you want to use Patreon to become a regular contributor to the show, you can do that too. That's patreon.com forward slash the clear out and that's only a matter of throwing a few euros a week or a month even towards the show but um, it all helps and it's just a way of acknowledging that this is this is something worthwhile that this takes time effort commitment discipline um i put a lot of love into it and a lot of thought um and i think it's uh it's a worthwhile endeavor and maybe if you're listening you go yeah i think it is too so that's nice and as always if you can't 
afford to subscribe um a, a contribution a donation don't worry about it just um you know spread the word pass it on to someone else who you think might enjoy it because that's how these things grow like little apples little apples grow acorns grow all kinds of things grow mushrooms carrots turnips that could be this could be a very long uh, epilogue okay take it easy mind yourselves as always keep enjoying that summer if it's the summer where you are keep uh keep wrapped up and stoic if it's the winter and you're feeling then you're feeling the chill and i will talk to you next week okay all the best take care see you bye Dream me high.